Women are powerful and have accomplished great things. Yet, sometimes we suffer from self-doubt, fear, and limiting beliefs. We often believe that we are not good enough. These negative beliefs stop us from achieving our goals. Welcome to Sprinting to Success, a podcast dedicated to women who have experienced struggles, yet found ways to step into their power, their greatness, and learn to embrace challenges. These women will share their stories and give you insights to help you on your path so you can follow your dreams. And now, here's your host, Esme Lawrence. She is an empowerment strategist and the host of several podcasts, including People's Choice Award nominee, Spirit, Purpose, and Energy. She is the director of Invisible Fitness, author of the Invisible Fitness Formula, named Best Personal Trainer in Los Angeles, and featured in Shape Fitness and Women's Health, as well as NBC, CBC, Fox, and CW, and KTLA. My guest today is JJ Fazane. JJ, I am honored to have you on my podcast. Thank you, Esme. It's fun to be here. Thank you so much for asking me. Oh, awesome. Now, I would want you to go back and talk to your 12-year-old self. You've accomplished so much in your life at this point. Go and tell her what you've done. Oh, well, uh, how much time do we have? Let's see. If I had to (laughs) just bullet point it for you, I would say that I graduated college in three years. I left home in Pennsylvania to go to school in New York. Uh, I moved to California, started my own business, was named Best Personal Trainer in Los Angeles in 2007 by Elite Traveler Magazine. I actually have a lot of press, which was called Invisible Fitness, and we were a company of trainers, and I had a higher standard for training, a lot of science background to deliver to people. And after having, I mean, I started my own business when I was 25. So um, I had employees, I was teaching education to trainers in New York City through one of the major top health clubs, health club change on the East Coast, actually. And uh, I was 21 at the time of that. So from 12 to 21, um, even, you know, not even 10 years later, I guess, right? Uh, I had really kind of accomplished a lot. And so moving 3,000 miles by myself from New York to LA, starting a business, getting really good press, uh, getting acknowledged pretty early on. And then from there, uh, developing products and programs. I've written three books, uh, two have been Amazon bestsellers. Uh, from there, starting a podcast. I actually even have my trophy. You're not going to be able to see it oh. because I, I, I need to get a new, I need to get, this is my uh, podcast award nominee for religion and spirituality category of spirit, purpose, and energy, which is not this show, but, um, and I, cause I have to take pictures. I need a better, I need a darker <laughs> backdrop in order for that to kind of stick out. So that was really important. And then being able to really have a whole business to do four live events, to have a great, very interactive, engaged audience, uh, where most of my clients come from my audience and, uh, and then working on the TEDx talk this year and the next book. Right. So what would your 12-year-old self say to you now after you told her all that? What would she say to you? I thought you wanted to be an actress. (laughs) What are you doing being a successful entrepreneur? Yeah. Well, I think when I was in high school and I thought I wanted to be an actress and I thought I went to college even to be an actress and I was an actress, but I think what I discovered on a trip at one point 
the reason why I thought I wanted to be an actress is because I thought I wanted to do everything. I wanted to be the youngest Supreme Court justice woman. I wanted to be like, there were so many things that I thought, oh, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. And then I thought, well, I should be an actress and I can do all of them. I can play them all in a somewhere. And, and now what is actually more fun, what acting taught me is that not that I love the art of acting. And I think it's actually now in retrospect, now that I'm even teaching people about money, I think everybody should take an acting class because uh, psychologically, not many people know how to put themselves in someone else's shoes. They don't know what it's like to be on, on all levels. Doesn't matter if you're going in from positive to negative or negative to positive uh, experiences. Most people don't know how to step into a different set of circumstances and then and belief systems and look at the world very differently. And I think if you attend a good enough acting class or school, maybe I should do that. Uh, acting for <laughs> acting for entrepreneurs, um, it actually really helps the psychological understanding of people's behaviors. And uh, and so you know, I think now the most fun part of my life is being me and and letting myself be me and allowing myself to grow and even if you will expand into when people don't like it. And that's the hard part of self-development is that when you actually continue to expand and be who you really are, uh, you have to face the people who you are afraid of, the people who you were afraid would reject you if you were actually to be honest with yourself about the things you believe, the things that you support, the things that you like, and, and take the risk that you know people in your life won't like it. So I think the most fun part is being me. Uh, and of course, manifesting, I know we'll talk about law of attraction a little bit, manifesting to that level of, and through plenty of pain, <laughs> plenty of pain and, and experimentation, if you will, but really getting to the point where couldn't really be better. I mean, you could say it could be, you know, there are other conditions that could change, but conditions could change and the things that are good will stay good. Right. I love what you said there about being me, you know, because uh, you have to be yourself. And when you when you are yourself, that's where true happiness comes, because you're not pretending to to be, you know, the Kardashians or, you know, or the neighbor next door. You're being yourself. So I want to go back to when you were a child. What were some of the struggles that you had as a child? Being me. Uh, I think that I my I had a therapist once who deemed me. She evaluated me as being gifted. And at first I didn't like that. I didn't rebel against it, but I didn't like it. And that was recent. That was in the last maybe 15 years, maybe even last 10 or eight years. And she said, honey, the reason why you're having such a difficult time having people relate to you is because you're gifted. And I thought, okay, another reason why people won't understand me. <laughs> another reason people won't like me. And I gifted in what, what did you say you're gifted in? And, and I just said, you know what? I can't deny any longer. Like she felt badly that I didn't have different parents who would know what to do about that. And, and so while I believe we choose our parents on a spiritual level before we get here and we choose everything that goes on before we get here pretty much, that knowing that and believing that when she said, you know, you're gifted and therefore this is why it's lonely at the top. If there's not a lot of people who can relate to you, relate to the speed at which your brain works, relate to the balanced brain of understanding things. Like I assess things very quickly. I have a high retention rate. I have a high, you know, between science and art, I'm, I'm pretty in the middle with again, that 50, 50 right and left brain. And that can be attainable for people. It's something you can learn. It is something you can uh, exercise as I'm learning from many of the guests I've had on my show and the, and, the, and the teachings that I've been doing recently. But I know for me, definitely being me was 
I didn't, I just, I don't, I didn't know what that was. I, I was big for my britches, so to speak, right? I had somebody in my event <laughs> this weekend say that and she let go of being too big for her britches. But the reality of that, when you're a powerful being, which we all are, that's right, we are, and you have parents or people around you or teachers who don't know how to cultivate and keep your power and your authenticity and try to socialize you in a way that's good for everybody, not just good for them, right? I heard a a mother on New Year's Day, Doug and I went to do our practice, sort of our beginning of the year planning practice at a spa resort here called Terranea. And we had parked the car and we had started to walk down to the spa and there was a, a little family, a mom and a, a daughter and I believe a baby and the husband. And the little girl was walking ahead of her. And I don't think she was doing anything out of the ordinary. And her mother said, stop it. You're making me nervous. Hmm. And while the woman isn't my friend, I don't know her at all. And even if she was, I still wouldn't have wanted to do a teaching moment. But I thought to myself, this is a perfect example of how we squish our children and how we squish other people into the box that makes sense for us. Her daughter wasn't doing anything dangerous. It was in a parking lot. But the mom was like, stop it. She wanted her child to behave in a way that was pleasing to her. So very early on, we all learn how to behave in ways that get us love from the people that we want love from. But most of that time, it means we have to be less than who we really are. We have a limited amount of self-expression. And that, unfortunately, Unfortunately, kills most of us in our adulthood when we're then afraid to really express who we really are for fear of rejection. Right. And we suffocate. Um, the people in our life suffocate us because they don't want us to get out of the box because they're afraid for us. And being out of the box is where you grow and that's where you become yourself. So now I want to go back to um, in high school. What were some of the struggles that you had in high school? Well, fitting in. Uh, I was talented in sort of the art department, the visual performing arts department. Not, I'm not an artist. I do not draw very well. They make fun of me at every event <laughs> when I try to draw a muscle because it looks like a pizza. And, uh, and so I did the morning news on our channel that went around the school. So everybody knew who I was because I was doing, I was like one of the anchors of the morning news. I was like the comedy and the, the lighter anchors. I didn't read any of the, the announcements. We were like the good morning. And we did that kind of bit in the beginning. Um, and I did the plays and I was in musical theater and I had a lot of the leads. So in that way, I was part of that group. And in junior high, I was a cheerleader and I was on the volleyball team. And But then when we got to high school, I, I couldn't do all of it. So I had to pick like what I liked the best. And I liked to be in the performing arts department, in the show choir, in the jazz ensemble. And so that's where I spent a lot of time. But at the same time, my school is so big. You know, you have these cliques when you grow up and you have like the jocks and the blah, blah, blah right. and all the positive. Yes. You know? So for me, it was it definitely was fitting in. And it was, and I, and I guess in a way, I have always felt, people have said growing up, oh, you're wise beyond your years. So I never, I never felt like I fit in to the intellectual consciousness level of where I was either. Like I, I've always had older friends because I was like sort of progressive in my thinking. I always asked questions. I always said, why? You're, a, and, you're an old soul. Right. I'm, I'm definitely an old soul. And, and that, that was hard in a place where I'm asking, you know, profound, very mindful, conscious questions, knowing that in high school, I, I used to tell people, guys, there's a world beyond these walls. Like we think right. like we have this idea of like the world is real inside of here. And it's like, it's only real inside of here. I went to college before I graduated high school. I went to a pre-college between my junior and senior year. I came back, which was probably the best thing I could have done because I came back being so excited on the other side of that, that I didn't let normal high school things, proms and homecomings and blah, blah, blah. And things that, you know, could have 
been a, a focal point for me get to me. I thought, I don't care. I've already gone to college, people. I'm, I'm an adult <laughs> already. And I can't wait to get the heck out of here. Right. And so you were quite popular, obviously, in high school. Right. So then what's the challenge? Um, you know, what are some of the challenges that you had? Popular, it depends on who you talk to. I mean, there were, I graduated with 650 people. There were 2,500 kids in my school. You know, when you're that big, the, unless, you know, yes, everyone knew who I was because on my senior right. year, I was on the television every morning. So would I say it was popular? I didn't feel popular. I didn't feel like I ruled the school or anything. They just knew who I was. I didn't, I still had shame of my body. I still didn't feel pretty. I still didn't feel, you know, popular in other ways. So I wouldn't just say, yes, I was popular. I was known, but that didn't mean, it didn't mean anything. I was one of those theater geeks at the same time right. too, right? So wh why didn't you feel pretty? Why didn't you feel, um, why did you feel less than? What was going on with that? Uh, I had had sort of a traumatic experience around, I believe it was fifth grade. Um, my mother has very coarse hair. It's, I don't even know where she gets it from because my grandmother's hair is not coarse. My grandfather's hair wasn't coarse, but she had this really coarse red hair and, uh, it was beautiful. It was very fluffy and big and curly and, uh, but I have very st straight, soft hair. And so when she tried to comb the knots out of my hair, I cry. And she, and because she didn't know how to handle knots in hair like this, she'd literally stick one hand on my head and then like do this with the comb until the knot came out. And so I'd cry. And so she felt badly and she wanted me to cut my hair because she wanted me to stop crying. So she very gingerly, gently over the course of probably a very long time started to introduce shorter hairstyles to me so that I would cut my hair. So she wouldn't have to hurt me. And I did it eventually. And the haircut wasn't horrible. I'm remembering a couple pictures. I don't think I thought it was horrible. What was horrible was that in my grade school, um, the years I was in school, that was a very popular, very tight perm. So once I got my hair permed, let's just say I had like a white Afro, right? It was okay. not, it was not attractive for me. And that was probably the first time I felt very, very ugly. And I knew that it would come out. But again, I mean, when you look in the mirror and you hate what you see, when I went from like, I liked my hair, there was no reason to cut my hair. My mother wanted to cut my hair. Right. So I literally did it because I thought it would be better for her. I didn't do it for me because I wanted to. I did it so she'd feel badly or she'd feel better about you know, cutting about my knots. And, right. and, and so, you know, I, I stayed home from school that day. She gave me some earrings to try to cheer me up. I wore a bush on my head to go to school the next day. I was so embarrassed. I had such shame. I felt so ugly. And when you have a trauma like that at that young age, it stays with you. So everything you do after that, not everything, but you know, many things you do after that, the makeup, the doing of the hair, the, the clothing, like what you're trying to, you know, you're trying to look better because you felt so ugly. And, and so that's why I would say, you know, I, and I also, at the same time, I have a lot of Sag in me, I'm a Pisces, but the Sag part of me wanted to rebel against the high school habits of impressing the boys or of being pretty. So for a long time, I know my friends would get up in the morning, like two hours before school and they put hot rollers in their hair every day and they'd put their makeup. I mean, it was like a fashion, fashion show, you know, competition every day. And I was like, by the time I was in 11th grade, I thought, I don't want to do this anymore. This is ridiculous. Right. So I literally rebelled by, you know, some people rebel by tattoos and nose piercings and coloring their hair a different color. I rebelled by turning my white sweatshirts inside out 
and wearing no makeup <laughs> and not doing my hair. I refused to do my hair in 11th grade. So there's many pictures of me with, you know, my bangs back and um, maybe ponytails. Like I literally, that was my form of rebellion to say, I'm, you know, I'm good enough as I am. I don't need to play this game and get all dressed up and have a costume on every day for you to accept me. Right. You know what? I also felt um, ugly. You know, I remember when I went to a, a dance, I think it was in grade six and um, all the girls are on one side, all the boys are on the other side. And the boys would slowly come over and ask, you know, the, the girls to dance. And, um, you know, I thought, you know, I wasn't bad looking, you know, in, you know, at that age. And then, you know, what happened? All the guys that came and asked all the girls and um, I was the only girl that didn't ask to dance. I was so, I felt, oh my gosh, Esme, you're ugly. Look at that. Nobody, no, the boys want to ask you to dance. Even when I was in high school, none of the boys liked me, you know, and, uh, and but that was in my mind because later on as an adult, I found out that, yeah, Esme, I had a crush on you. <laughs> I said, really? Okay, but you tell me. But yeah, but I felt really ugly in high school, in junior high, all those years growing up because I was, I looked like a man, they told me, um, because I was tall, skinny, slender hips. You know, I didn't look like the typical girl. So yeah, I can relate to that. I think everybody can to a certain degree. Even if you were yeah. the popular one, you probably were comparing yourself to somebody else who was popular. Oh, yeah. Totally. Oh, for sure. I wanted to look like the girls with those round hips, you know, <laughs> small waist and big round hips. That's what I wanted to look like. Yeah. You know, because I didn't accept myself. Right. So fast forward, you're an adult. What are some of the struggles as an adult in your life? Struggles now or struggles that um, I've overcome? Young, um, young adult, the struggles that you've overcome. They were struggles, but not anymore. Oh, absolutely. Self-acceptance. Um, right. Oh, absolutely. Self-acceptance. Absolutely. Confidence and feeling sure and liking myself. I mean, my whole, I mean, the fit to love brand is all about self-care from the position of self-love, not from self-abuse. Right. You know, as a trainer, I always felt like there was something I didn't like about the fitness industry besides the lack, blatant lack of science uh, when it came to exercising. Oh my God. Like that still today really makes me laugh. I've got some wonderful uh, people I know in the world who do fitness and I just want to turn my head every time because <laughs> nobody seems to no physics or anatomy or biomechanics. So we're putting ourselves at risk in our joints every day for the exercises that we're doing. Tell me about the, the science of exercise. Oh, we'd be here all day, Esme. It's like- Okay, well, a little bit. Okay, so for, okay, you know what, regarding the back, regarding your back, what's the science about that? So if somebody can um, you know, maintain a nice, healthy, strong back. Upper back, middle back, lower back, what are we talking? Uh, let's go lower back. So the lower back uh, muscles, uh, the lower back muscles, can can be anything from uh, the the all of the extern the spinal extensors that go from the top of the neck all the way down to the pelvis, or they could be your uh, quadratus lumborum, which is the muscle that's sort of like your abs of the back. It's what attaches from the bottom of the rib cage to the top of the pelvis. It's actually not a very large muscle because there's not a lot of space there. You have more in the front. Your abs attach from your the bottom of your rib cage to the top of your pubic bone, but because the pelvis is higher in the back than it is in the front, there's a lot longer attachment for the abs than in the back. And that muscle is pretty misunderstood. A lot of people have back pain, back soreness because of bad posture and the way that they sit all day long and having weak abs. Uh, and some people have chronic lower back pain because it's really repressed anger and has nothing to do with your your physics of your body and the and the state of your physiology. And and so when you're dealing with backs, you know, if you do things like chiropractic, acupuncture, exercise, massage, Pilates, 
you know, all those things that you would do physical therapy if you have a problem and they work and the pain goes away or the back feels stronger, then that's, that's good. It was a physical issue. But if you're someone with chronic pain and you've done all of those things and you always have a low level pain, or you notice at stressful times in your life, you have, you know, debilitating back pain. That is not a physical issue. That is an emotional issue. And again, that again is the reason why I evolved from just physical stuff into physical and emotional stuff. Because when I went through all the sciences of the body and they didn't help some of the people that I was helping who had lower back pain, I had to look at what else contributes to this condition. And Dr. John Sarno, very famous Dr. John Sarno wrote, healing back pain. He wrote uh, The Mind-Body Prescription, and he is, was a surgeon for 40 years uh, on back surgeries and basically said, look, most of you don't have a problem with your back. It doesn't mean the pain's not real. The pain is real, but the pain is masking a deeper emotional expression your body doesn't want you to go through. And so so that he has a different way of dealing with it. He has since passed, but his books, his education, his teachings are still very much a part of what I share on my show, what I share with clients. And, and most, especially men can relate to, like when I say it's emotional, they just dismiss me, of course. But, uh, but most people will say, oh, I have stress. Well, stress is emotions. Stress is literally interpreted negative emotions about a situation. Stress isn't a, what do we want to say? Like a neutral thing. Like if you feel stress, it's because literally you have negative emotions about something. And so that's when I'm making the correlation between back pain and emotions. So, you know, the body is, you have over 300 muscles and over 200 bones because we're designed to move, not sit. But there is a science to, there's a physiology, there's a, your skeletal structure, which can wear down like the brakes in your car. So if you don't understand and haven't been taught or aren't working with someone who understands the very complex multiple sciences applied to the body to get change and do it without injury or degeneration. Most of my clients who I've worked with who had knee pain or back pain or ankle pain or neck pain or shoulder pain who have come out of that pain also have their joints intact, have their cartilage intact. And a lot of the exercises today, CrossFit, CrossFit, and some of those other- CrossFit, okay. High intensity exercises might be great for fat loss initially, but are horrible most of the time for your joints and most people get injured. So uh, that is kind of where I started, but walking into the gym as a trainer, I've always felt like besides, again, the blatant lack of science, that there was another emotional component that didn't feel right. And what it was, and what I figured out over years and years was that you, just because you're working out or taking care of yourself in that way that you're actually doing a good thing. It's, actually, it's the energy underneath it. I could feel, and you can do this any, anywhere in the world, go into the gym and you can feel who likes themselves and who doesn't. The ones who are doing it because they hate themselves and they think that if I get skinny enough, if I look good enough, someone will love me. I'll be worthy. I will like myself. But then there are people who are doing it. I was doing it and I wanted to continue to promote people doing it from a place of self-love, that you do these things because you love and honor yourself and you want your body to stay strong and pain-free and intact as you age through life. So it was a very different energy. There are a lot of people who are addicted to the way they look. And so they're not any healthier than the, than the anorexics, the ones that, so, you know, we have these extremes. Everyone just assumes, oh, if somebody has a good body and they go to the gym and they exercise, they must care for themselves. No, not at all. So if one of um, your clients that come to you first time, so then how do you tell them to maintain healthy body, healthy mind, healthy spirit? Um, how do you, um, how do you put all that in? And what are, uh, um, say maybe three of the things that you would tell them when they walk in to um, work with you? Well, it's a very personalized process. Uh, if somebody is calling me to work with me, the likelihood that they've listened to my show 
and they listened to enough or watched a webinar, they have an understanding about my mind, body, soul approach. So they know this isn't just, I'm going to give you a diet and exercise program, and then you're going to be off and running. Well, I can do that. And I would do that if someone was very clear and said, look, all I want is the exercise program and the food. Right. I'd say, okay, that's about 10 sessions. And then if that's it, that's it. And that's cool. In fact, that's how I met Doug. <laughs> uh, because he wasn't interested initially in the emotion. Well, Doug stuff. is your significant other. So those But he wasn't at the Doug. time. Ah, okay. He wasn't at the time. He okay. was just a fellow podcaster who wanted to put some exercise into his program and had lower back pain. And, you know, I knew I only had 10 sessions and he was living in Baltimore and I was in California and we do our sessions. And at some point, maybe third or fourth session, you know, the back pain was there. And I said, Hey, just so that you know, um, there's more to back pain than physical. And so there's usually some underlying emotional things. And he said, Oh, I totally, I could see that. I totally get that. But I didn't know if we'd have the time to go through it or to look at what those emotional things could be. And then, you know, one thing led to another and his wife left him and then my husband and I separated and then now we got together. He came here, no more back pain, but Doug has not had back pain in years. Wow. So, so he knows it was stress, but the point is when I'm working with someone, it's very personalized. And, uh, and if it's, you know, Hey, I want to create a, a safe exercise program that gets me results, but saves and preserves my joints. Cool. I'll do that. But if someone comes to me and says, I have been battling my weight for years and I'm really frustrated and I've tried 20 things. Can you just put an exercise program together for me and a diet that will help me lose weight? I'd say no, because the underlying root to why, you actually, why you're eating in the first place is to numb your emotions. And we need to look at the whole package because an exercise program and a diet won't fix right. why you binge or why you go off of it in the first place and forget even go off of it. Why, you know, why we use food to numb. So right. I know that, you know, um, JJ, when I was, um, you know, feeling depressed, I would, uh, emotional eater, I would just eat and eat and eat, you know? And because when I'm feeling sad, it's like, that's the first thing I go for food. And it's, it's not the broccoli and the lettuce. Uh, you know, I go for the, the cookies and the candies. And the cakes. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> right? You know, so somebody um, who's an emotional eater, um, what would you say to them? So food is your addiction. And anyone, we all have addictions, but food is definitely an addiction. You need to eat. And we think, oh, well, I have to eat my meals. I have to eat to live. But if you could be conscious of when you're eating to numb your pain, and really the only way through that is, I mean, not the only way, it's not, this is the simple concept, how you get there is going to be very personalized for other people, but you have to sit in your pain. We have to figure out what that pain's about, right. what, you're, what you're running from, because the food's never going to help it. The food creates this cycle that you eat, then you blame yourself, and then you feel badly about yourself, and then the whole cycle starts again. But rather than attach yourself to feeling guilty and shaming and blaming yourself for overeating, acknowledge the fact that there's something you're avoiding feeling, something that scares you, something you're afraid of that you're not wanting to deal with right now. And again, occasionally for all of us, that's okay. It's part of balance to say, hey, there's this big, heavy, daunting thing I don't want to deal with right now. I need to give myself a few days. Okay. But if you've been avoiding something for 10 years, 20 years, 15 years, we are so out of balance right now that it needs an intervention in a different way. And not by controlling, not by going on some crazy diet or detox, by looking at your feelings. It's, this is where the behavioral psychology has to come in of really digging a little deeper because it's not about the diet. It's not at all about the food. It's really about what right. you're trying to numb. 
Right. You know what, JJ, because I was trying to numb when I realized I was in a, in a marriage that I was, I mean, I was always married. I was married for almost 24 years, but we went separate ways. And, and um, so my issue when I was eating and, and feeling depressed is because I didn't know how I'm going to tell my children that their, um, the family's broken. The, the marriage is, is um, over, you know, and, um, you know, because I said we couldn't, I just couldn't live. I was living a lie. And so I would feel depressed and start eating and eating and eating. And it took my mom getting sick for me to wake up and go, Esme, you know, these are some of the issues. Deal with it. So you have to deal with it. And of course, you cry. But in the pain and, um, and you know, dealing with my issues, I was able to free myself from eating emotionally. Of course, I do, eat, you know, do eat a little bit emotional sometimes. Right? But I try and make better and better and wiser choice. You know, I'll go for the broccoli and go for something healthy compared to, you know, eating late at night and eating cookies and, and cakes. Right. Well, so yeah, I had to, it's just a symptom. And if you notice yeah, it, it, then I you can ask yourself, it. well, you can ask yourself, what am I numbing? Right. What is it? I'm not wanting to face. And again, you don't have to face it if you don't want to, right. but be honest with yourself, be conscious with yourself to say, the reason why I'm eating this whole bag of cookies is because I'm feeling blank. Right. And if we, and I teach people how to process those emotions and get those needs met so that you don't feel that way anymore. And you don't need to eat. Oh, you know what? Anybody out there having this issues, you know, emotional eating, you know, or I need to get fit um, mentally, physically, and you know what? Spiritually, talk to JJ. <laughs> She's your answer. So JJ, what's the law of attraction coaching? Well, uh, most people have heard of the law of attraction and most people don't under understand it. <laughs> most people think it's about denying your feelings and just trying to stay positive, using affirmations, putting up pictures on a board, on a wall. Uh, couldn't, and that's like the tip of the iceberg. It's not even, it's like one fraction of it. It's so I help people to embrace the fact that whether you believe it or not, you are always attracting you, like law of attraction works, whether you believe it or not. And it's working 24 hours a day, seven days a week for your entire life. You are like a cell tower. You emit a frequency every day, as long as you're on this earth breathing. And actually even when you pass, but you're always emitting a frequency, which is then calling in things to you. And if you don't like the things you're calling in, then it maybe it's time to examine what beliefs and emotions you're emitting that keep lining up with the things that you don't like. And then how do we shift that? So that's really basically the law of attraction is really, again, it's that therapeutic psychological work that gets you to pivot, gets you to create better habits, gets you to create new neural pathways in your brain to experience new things and to get out of your comfort zone, create a new story, create a new belief system. It's actually not as hard as you think. Uh, it's pretty easy. It's like exercise, right? It's like doing a new exercise for the first time. You have to learn it. Once you learn it, it gets easier. Right. So the law of attraction is you're attracting things to you all the time and you decide what comes to you. And so what you believe about yourself, that's what's going to come towards you. So for instance, if you believe that you have, um, you're broke, then you're broke. <laughs> right? So you have to make sure that you um, think positive things and, and draw good things, things that you want to come to you. If you're looking for that man, right, you know, draw, you know, think good things and then that will come to you. Is that, is that um, the way law of attraction works? Kind of. Again, it's, it's how to overcome. Like we, it's, again, it's, it's much more psychological, emotional understanding because we can, half of our, like 18%, is it 18 um, or 12%, 12% of our brain is conscious. That means that 12% of my, our mind, we're aware of our thoughts. 
but 88% of that is subconscious. And so really a lot of what gets created is coming out of our subconscious belief systems and our subconscious belief systems like your basement. It's like the bottom of the iceberg underneath the water. You can't see it, but it's running the show. So we really have to, it's about some of the practices that kind of start to reprogram the subconscious. So yeah, again, top level, that's what it is. It sounds pretty easy, but a lot of people misunderstand that they think all I have to do is say, I want to be a millionaire, but they don't realize that when you say that, and you're so far from that, you actually don't activate the belief of it. You activate the lack of it. It's actually the opposite. So if you don't believe it and you say it, you actually strengthen you not having it versus strengthening having it. So that's just one of the little tips about law of attraction that people don't get. They just think if I just say, oh, I want, I want this, like they go too far out of their belief system. Not that you can't, none of it, it's, it's your belief system that matters. It's what you believe in or in alignment with that actually changes your frequency. So I love that. You know what you believe in alignment with, um, that's going to change, um, what's going to um, pull and draw what you need into your life. So JJ, you're a very successful woman and, um, we all know that, but what is it that you're still struggling with now? Um, not being in a new house. Um, we had to move recently. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear Doug in the other room and my I cat and my I, cat, I cat opened the door. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't have a lock on the door. What do I still struggle with? Um, well, I, I'm growing and expanding just like everybody else. And so it's really that level. So it's not about that we struggle and overcome something and it never becomes something again. It's literally like from one level to the next level to the next level. So I guess in this next level, uh, I am just coming up against my own limiting beliefs that I'm working on to get rid of. And again, staying true to the practices and having accountability for my own evolution and, and again, my own resistance to things, my own belief systems. But I mean, there's, I would say there's not, no big one thing. Uh, recently, I've definitely overcome rejection and feeling fear of having people not like me or give negative comments or feedback. I'm over that. And where most people aren't, most people, even famous right. people, right, can't stand negative comments or feedback. Not that I love them or anything. Right. It's just that I know who I am and I know that I'm pretty confronting. And so if you're not ready to deal with your truth, because half the time it's from people that don't even know me, right? You've heard me on a show, right. but you're so moved. Like I take it as a compliment now. Like you're so moved by what I said. You're so mad, which really means I activated something in you. You're so mad at something I said. You have to write a negative review or comment. Right. That's what that means. It's a compliment. Um, so, but I've gotten over that because I have to to be doing what I'm doing. Oh, definitely. And you know what? And you're the best at being JJ. Nobody else. And it doesn't matter. So once you've accepted yourself, and which you clearly have, it doesn't matter. The negative comments, you know, it makes you stronger. It shows you that, yes, I, you know, I am, I am authentically me, right? So JJ, what would you like to share with our audience today? In what realm? Cause I have so much. Any, anything, anything you want to share, you know, like, um, give me a, um, two minutes of what you would like to share with our audience, maybe promote whatever you want to promote or, you know, um, give some advice, anything. Well, one of the fun things I do, uh, is I add astrology to the mix and uh, most people think astrology is reading your horoscope and some prediction about something that's going to happen to you today. But actually, astrology is kind of like chemistry to me. Astrology is a mixture of four different elements, earth, air, water, and fire. And your birth chart has a recipe of those different elements. And that gives me information on how you think, act, believe, and disseminate information. So when I coach or work with people, and I'm teaching a four-week class in March on astrology, on the elements and how they 
interact and how they influence behavior, relationships, success, and money. Uh, because again, astrology is, it really is like a recipe. It's like, you know, you can take five chocolate cakes that all taste different because the amount and the ingredients are going to change. Well, it's the same thing with people. You can have, you know, there's only 12 signs, um, but there are many placements of those signs and combinations of those signs that really give somebody an energetic blueprint from which that they look at life and that they assess information and find are important. So I really enjoy adding the astrology piece. I did a little section of it this last weekend at my last event and like always, I mean, it's never enough. People want to know more. And it's, you know, so that's why I decided to do a four week course in March because I can never get it in. So it's at least four 90 minute sessions, which should be plenty of time to get really deep and involved with all this astrological stuff. So if anyone's interested in that, you can check out jjflazanes.com forward slash astrology and uh, it'll be recorded. So if you miss a, one of the live coachings, you definitely can get the recording. But you know, I have a lot of free gifts. I have a copy of my free book, nice. uh, my last book, which is The Invisible Fitness Formula, Five Secrets to Release Weight and End Body Shame. You can get a free copy of that. I do a free 30-day manifestation challenge. So using law of attraction and helping people to do practices and keep accountable for 30 days. And the next free one of those is in April. So just go to jjflazanes.com. You can see my name spelled here, F-L-I-Z-A-N-E-S.com. And there's a little blue tab that says free tools and resources. Just check out what's there and look around. And if there's something of interest, I definitely span sort of a wide range of, it's usually, again, all under the law of attraction umbrella, spiritual, behavioral psychology, health and wellness, alternative medicine umbrella. JJ, you're amazing. Thank you so much for this awesome interview today. Thank you, Esme. And I am sprinting to success with Esme Lawrence. Yeah. Thank you so much, JJ. Oh, my heavens. I love that. So to, to learn more about JJ, go to EsmeLawrence.com. Thank you and have an amazing day. Thank you for listening to Sprinting to Success with your host, Esme Lawrence. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this show on iTunes. For more information about Esme and to hear other episodes of the show, go to EsmeLawrence.com. The information in this podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional or medical treatment or advice. Always seek advice from your healthcare provider.